0: Based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. Maureen, your Canva presentation looks brilliant. Thanks, Brett. That's because I used AI-powered Canva presentations. I just described what I wanted and Canva presentations generated the perfect slides. You can even make a talking presentation for people to watch on their own time. Check this out. Recording. 101 Reasons Why Beaches is the Saddest Film Ever Made. By your neighbour Maureen. Is it easy to use? If you can use a computer, you can nail your next work presentation with Canva Presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Oh, thanks, my neighbour Maureen. Yeah, thank you. Look out. It's only films to be buried with. Hello and welcome to Films To Be Buried With. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, a JPEG converter and I love films. As Richard Bach once said, your conscience is the measure of the honesty of your selfishness. Listen to it carefully. Also, listen to the soundtrack to Leaving Las Vegas. It's hypnotic. It is actually Richard Bach. Sad, but really a beautiful soundtrack. Every week I invite a special guest over, I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Kevin Smith, Sharon Stone, James Acaster and even Zed Pambles. But this week it's the wonderful comedian, actor and writer Tiffany Stevenson. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein where you'll get an extra 15 minutes of chat with Tiffany where we talk about the openings and closings of films, you get a secret from her, you also get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Your two TV missions as always are to watch season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app and season one of Soulmates on Amazon Prime. One will make you very happy, the other will make you question your relationships. So, Tiffany Stevenson. Tiffany Stevenson is a comedian who has done several five-star hour shows. She runs an incredible new material night in London called Old Rope. If you've never been and you can get to it, go and see it. I love performing it. I love watching it. It's a great night out. She's a writer who has worked on such shows as Avenue 5. She's also an actor who has appeared brilliantly in such shows as The Amazing People Just Do Nothing. And my favourite, Raisin Connerty's masterwork, Game Face. She's brilliant in all these things and brilliant at all these things. We recorded this over Zoom a few weeks ago and she was amazing. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 144 of Films to be Buried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an actor, a writer, a podcaster, a host, a new (laughs) materialer, a stand-up, a gig runner, a showrunner, a legend, (laughs) a hero, and a person... In her own right. Please welcome (laughs) to the show, the incredible (laughs) Tiffany Stevenson.
1: Yay! Yay! Thank you for applauding me on. I'm good. I'm good. I'm in the sunny book nook of my living room in a a comfy chair, ready to get into it with you. Thank you for acknowledging all of my various hats that I wear. I like Um, that you do that on
0: this podcast. Thank you. Yes. Well, it's important. Um, I, for those who can't see, your book nook, I mean, it, it looks well nice. And and also the books, you're surrounded by books on all sides and they do look red, like they don't look brand new. Do you know <laughs> what to mean? That doesn't mean you've read them. It means you have definitely opened them.
1: Yeah, they're not show books. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's Some of them I've read bits of and then shoved it back on the shelf going, oh, that's a bit lunatic. Right. Um, but I, there's a there's sort of a philosophy section in this corner here. Now, also, these shelves used to be covered in DVDs as well, uh, right. pertinent to what we're going to talk about today, which um, so at the is. end of last year in the great tidying during the pandemic, they got moved into the loft. <laughs> and we couldn't bring ourselves to sell them because we want to keep mm. them and they're films that we love and, and cherish. But because everything's downloadable now, so you kind of lose the... But we've kept books, a Kindle... I think a bookshelf looks lonely with one Kindle on it. I think it needs. Yeah,
0: I I think you've got to keep books, and also it's good you're keeping your DVDs because one day the um, internet will get shut down, and all these you won't be able to access any of these films, and you'll be so glad that you kept the Little Mermaid on DVD. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> Some we've got repeats. That's one of the joys of. Uh, you probably know this when you move in with someone, you get to go through your shared collection and go, "What have you got that I've got?" And then you find that they have. Requiem for a Dream, which you've never watched before. And they say, oh, this is amazing. And they make you watch it. And then afterwards, Brett, you turn to them and say, why would you ever do that to
0: me? <laughs> yeah, and why are you watching it again? Yes, why is, why it's are you a on film that never,
1: never needs to be seen more than once. It's so mm. uh, relentlessly bleak. But we have an interesting, I mean, it's not not in any of my picks, but me and my partner have a very interesting uh, relationship and discussions around Darren Aronofsky films in general um yes. I think I almost ruined a proposal once uh after we'd been to see mother we were walking along Sydney Harbour Bridge and it was so beautiful and picturesque and we both got into an argument about mother in the film and You know, he was kind of talking about the brilliance of Aronofsky's films and me kind of going, but didn't Jennifer Lawrence break her ribs in the thing? And he was like, yeah, because she was really committed. And I was like, but they were going out and we were just sort of having this row. And, he, you know, it ended up becoming about the history of men and women, like generally. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, that was... Then he asked me at Christmas, so that was in the November. <laughs> I, sort of, I sort of ruined a whole entire proposal by like ranting about Darren Aronofsky. You kept seeing
0: his hand go in his pocket, and then nah, cut, nah, fuck that. <laughs> if she don't like mother, I don't know if it's worth it.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, um, but yes, he's a he's a huge PT. Or actually, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, and scorsese fan but uh and he likes aronofsky's film what's
0: your double up like tell me two two dvds he, he's he got one you got one the same one where do you cross over
1: we crossed over on stuff like um heat and nice. uh yeah like heat goodfellas these are all these are all gonna come up brett but yeah so we've crossover crossed over on those i i should look at the shelf here but yeah Stuff like, a few horror ones, you know, stuff like uh, The Omen, which he'd never watched. So then I watched with him and he owned it on DVD and that was weird. And then we watched that together because he'd never seen it. Um, he'd bought it, meaning to watch it. So I was like, great, we'll, we'll get into watching that. So yeah, we had we had quite a lot of doubles, actually. Lots of comedies and stuff like Anchorman and all of that kind of...
0: That's good. ...coming into America,
1: all of those guys.
0: Before we get to all the film stuff, can we briefly talk about stand-up? Because... I haven't recorded one with a stand-up for a couple of months, I think, and haven't sort of checked in. Are you, <laughs> uh, uh, how are you? I mean, are you just doing online gigs? Are you? Do you miss it? How are you coping? I miss it uh, terribly. I
1: really, I really miss it, and I really miss the, you know, because I've been writing some scripts and doing all of that stuff. I mean, we we both do very similar things, so you know the unique sort of pain of of, of having the instant gratification of something taken away so that's a a part that's a part that's very much missing because it's hard you know you're grinding away on a script you're writing something and you can't get any you're not showing it to anyone yet because you're in the writing phase it's hard to get distance from it and I'm very critical when I'm writing I'm like flagellating constantly and having to go let go of it being perfect and just Get on to the next bit, and and so what the joy of stand up is. I've got an idea at lunchtime. I can do it at night, and I'll get that instant response. And and I actually feel mm. like I've done my job. I feel like I've done a thing. I've performed. I've you know. So yeah, I've been doing. I did a Zoom work in progress for uh, with, for Americans basically. It was like three o'clock in the morning in the UK oh, wow. when I did it. Uh, so that was that was great. Um, and I've been doing. I was doing old rope on Instagram for a while. But I stopped in the new year just because it's it's quite a lot of work to get everyone booked in and organised. But I'll I'll get that up back up and running. But I'm hoping you know spring is here that hopefully we'll start spring into summer. We'll start seeing some outdoor gigs and that it's sort of returning.
0: Yeah. Did you do any of the any of the car park gigs?
1: No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't do any of those. But what I did enjoy the f- the first one I think I saw a clip of was like. Daniel Sloss on stage mm-hmm. getting like you know Sloss is a brilliant stand-up just you know kind of punting it out to a car park and getting <laughs> car toots and honks yeah. in return and I was like it's nice to see a man get honked by a car it's nice for male <laughs> comedians to have that feeling of like someone yeah. tooting a horn at you and and uh, yeah. but I didn't do any of those did you
0: initially when all this started I was like I'm never doing online gig and then I started doing online gigs because I cracked and then and actually once they worked out how to you could hear the audience I was like okay these aren't terrible and I don't say to be fair I wasn't off it wasn't like people were banging on my door saying come and do a car park gig (laughs) but when I saw the car park gigs I think it was Dane Baptiste he put on his Instagram just did one of these and it was raining and he's on a stage and people have their windows up and he's performing to a uh, cars that are wiping their windscreens like literally like he stepped into a Pixar movie <laughs> of cars and he's doing a gig to cars and I thought I don't know if this is I mean I'm really desperate to do a gig but not to inanimate I mean they they do move to be fair but
1: oh to, yeah to it's... Giant objects
0: <laughs> it just seems very odd
1: it's bizarre I think there's a way of working them I think I saw Chappelle when he did his on his farm of like outside and distanced. And I think they did a few in America sort of like that. I did one in the courtyard at the Batsy Arts Centre in the summer. That was, that was reasonable. The outdoor, actually (laughs) the first one I did back was in, I think it must've been about June and it was myself, Angelos Epithemu, Dan Skinner Mm -hmm. and Carl Donnelly. And it was like, there's this amphitheater in a kid's playground in like Finchley. Like it was like five minutes from my house and it was pouring with rain. I was like, how are they going to do this? Is it on? Is it off? We were getting sort of texts. Mm-hmm. I was like, fine, I'll just come down. And And the audience were there and they were so up for it. There was about 30, 40 people in this amphitheater and they had like waterproofs on and umbrellas. And they were just, that's right. how desperate they were to see like stand-up and entertainment. They were just getting soaked. And they were like, we don't care. We just, please give us some jokes. There was no microphone. It was just me <laughs> shouting at some people in a field. But it, I felt like I'd been brought back to life. I was yeah. like, oh, of course, you know. And Carl and, and Andrew, they were both so funny. And, you know, Carl Donnelly is one of those comics who adapts so well, you know, when he's hosting, oh, yeah, he's adapts amazing. so well to any room or any situation. Any
0: field. So he just
1: made it okay. Yeah, He just made it great. But, yeah, so that was my that was my sort of first foray but I miss doing old rope on a month which you've done loads my new yeah. material show which is every Monday which really helps the creative juices it helps right
0: the thing you don't get you don't get on the zoom gigs is you you do your zoom gig there's no you don't get the hanging out bit and that's the best like the thing I miss more than anything and people like don't believe me but I'm like you know that gig gig and it's it's fucking and i've said it to his face it's an absolutely dreadful <laughs> gig <laughs> in, and i'll do it every single time he asks me i will always but like being at the back of that fucking dump <laughs> sat <laughs> sat with like lou sanders and just writing jokes and sitting in the back while three people file in for the show <laughs> like that's my happiest time i mean i don't i don't i love that i really miss that bit you know yes, I, mean?
1: I miss that of rope. And I think my dad does as well. I, I I didn't sort of think about how it would not, of course, I thought about how the pandemic would affect my parents. But really, my like dad's social life is, you know, he's 80 now. And that, that like that is, did, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Like old rope is his thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. his... I come in, I see all the comics, I say hello, you know, like, yeah, yeah. so I think he really misses that. And I miss that, you know, we've got that sofa right next to the stage where yeah, we all sit and chat. I've got a photo of you from like, must be 10 years ago, sat with Sarah Kendall at the back of the Phoenix uh. with your notebooks out, scribbling, you know. And then mm. once you've been on, you can kind of relax and watch everyone else and just chat. And, you know, that, that, yeah, there's a sense of community. I've started missing people that I don't even like. like <laughs>
0: yeah. Just... yeah, and I wonder how long how long it will take you to remember like to hang out with that person and go, oh no, no. I wonder yeah. if that's I was right the compassion. first time. Yeah. <laughs> how long that will last. <laughs> Tiffany. Fuck. I uh ah, oh, nuts. I've forgotten to tell you something. Ah, oh, fuck. Oh Tiff, I'm really sorry. I uh I should have actually said this earlier. Um, oof, I don't know, man. Well, I get. Well, I'll just I'll mm, I'll just say it, and we'll have, I guess we'll just handle it. I, um, yeah. So you yeah. you di- you've died. You're dead.
1: You actually broke up when you said that. You oh, broke de- up when you you're said dead. that. I'm dead.
0: You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny say again i'm telling you you've died Ah, oh, can you <laughs> you restart your wi-fi <laughs> you're <laughs> no still not i still can't get what is it <laughs> you're dead
1: am i in limbo
0: <laughs> you're dead you've died how did you die tiffany stevenson
1: i drowned in kisses from james mcavoy
0: wow wow
1: yeah i mean that's a lot of saliva right
0: that seems a <laughs> were slow... you expecting
1: something more
0: <laughs> no I, I think i was expecting something less realistic <laughs> i didn't realize <laughs> i didn't realize we were heading straight into like wow some heavy shit so james mcavoy he's drowned you in kisses like he's put his mouth yeah. over your nose and mouth He's yeah i mean it you. started
1: it started nice yeah uh and then i was like oh no you can actually die from being kissed to death by james mcavoy
0: Wow! and is
1: it weird that it's james mcavoy because i live with a scottish man but we do have a picture of him in our living room with googly eyes so he sh-
0: <laughs> is this something you share with your with your boyfriend
1: oh yeah yeah fiance fiance, fiance thank pardon you me. yeah uh uh yes he's he's enthusiastic as as you about it um, in, no that's no, not I'm true in denial
0: about it that's why i can't say i'm so sorry <laughs> he's your boyfriend
1: that's a, um that's not true actually it's, it's sort of the other way around i've always been less nonchalant and he's like should we do this then i already consider us married we've been together it'll be coming up on 14 years so i feel that's, i feel like that's you know yeah. Fifteen
0: lifetimes. I think you're allowed a little <laughs> a little foray with James McAvoy after fourteen years. You've, you do you know what I mean? You've shown commitment. You've done your bit. Like
1: I've done my bit. I'm allowed to go on a, a mini break with with James McAvoy in my mind.
0: And it's only kissing as well. From <laughs> so, the so, of it.
1: It's only kissing. It's never going to be anything more. Just slowly. I mean, maybe I had a terminal illness anyway, and he was just he was just helping it pass through. I don't know what the most peaceful way. You know, I don't know whether I want, you know, something quick. Like, have you uh, seen Happy Death Day?
0: No, no, I
1: haven't. Oh, no, no well, she, has, she dies every day and she starts taking it into her own hands. And at one point she throws herself into a wood chipper.
0: Nice. Now,
1: if you could throw yourself with enough gusto that you wouldn't feel pain, that could be a spectacular ending.
0: Yeah. Well, the way you've chosen is slow for sure. Unless James yeah. McAvoy can put your whole head in his mouth immediately (laughs) and suffocate you. Which I'm not saying he can't. I haven't put your two heads next to each other.
1: Like a snake. I have a tiny head. You've got a tiny head. I've got a pinhead. I'm like the shrunken head in Beetlejuice. Oh, okay. When they're in in the waiting room, (laughs) there's a guy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You've got a chance then.
1: Yeah. He can unhinge his jaw and just swallow me like a boa constrictor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is no disrespect to James McAvoy. I've not seen him in real life. He don't look like he's got a massive head either.
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that because I was like, I think he's shorter than me. I mentioned this the other day and the mother half went, but didn't he get hench for like a film?
0: Yeah, but that does, he he didn't get taller.
1: He didn't get taller and his head didn't. But sometimes with men you see, you know, I think this is more to do with if they take testosterone or Mm. like, you know, any illegal kind of steroids. Because testosterone is not technically illegal. Uh, but you see their heads split like pit bulls. right? You ever seen that? Like men's heads get bigger over time.
0: Okay, so let's am say I just he's ma- been doing am that? I just
1: completely <laughs> making this? Up. I feel like Joe Rogan's head got bigger. There, yeah, I and can it, see that. I feel like it did, and he talked about taking testosterone.
0: So, so McAvoy's been pounding testosterone <laughs> yes. to make his head big enough to swallow your <laughs> tiny Beetlejuice head. Okay.
1: Uh, I'm being slowly ingested by James
0: (laughs) McAvoy. That's okay. That makes sense. This all adds up. (laughs) Do you worry about death, Tiffany Stevenson? I
1: say I do and I don't. I think if I'm in a place where I am trying to put all my practices in, that's kind of... Because stand-up is a bit of that as well. Sometimes it's really freeing within stand-up to kind of go, we're all going to die, so none of it really matters. We're all hurtling towards death then you can be free with your ideas and what you say and what you think. You're not sort of held back by social mores. And I think sometimes they are a good thing. It sort of stops you from being an asshole. Um, Mm. But I, I, I'm not obsessed. I went through phases when I was younger, where I was like, I was obsessed that I was going to die in a slightly OCD fashion. Like that I was going to die. or People around me were going to die if I didn't run far enough on the treadmill or if i didn't get something done i used it as a weirdly as a method to motivate me into trying to finish something that i was finding hard to finish i was like i'm probably gonna die if i don't do this Hmm. do i think i think i've thought about my mortality more in the years you know in my 20s than i do now
0: yeah that's interesting i get that
1: wrinkles and stuff remind me and also um gray pubes every time you get in the shower being a you know that's <laughs> that's too much information but you know like your, bo- your, 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 your in body your aging <laughs> yeah in your pa- yeah yeah i mean i really want to do stand up about this i think men are less aware of their aging bodies than women like far less societally our worth is constantly reaffirmed mm. to us by by our youth so so we think a lot about how to look younger and and to, to, to sort of maintain that value, even if you're feminist and even if you go, that's bullshit and I shouldn't yeah. buy into it. But we live in the society that exists, certainly when you're going for acting jobs and everything else. Like in my 20s, I had a lot of thoughts about my mistakes and if and, and this is in the depths of my depression and everything and what my legacy would be and how I'd messed it up. And what would I leave behind? Like, what does my life mean and what is the point of it? Which is more existential angst, I suppose, than worrying about death.
0: Have you found an answer to that question?
1: What the point of life? <laughs> what, what your
0: what your what your legacy is, and what what your life means?
1: I'm still. I think I'm still trying to. I think I'm still striving towards it. I think the point of it, more and more as I get older, the point of it is to live in as much joy as I can, and as much wonder and expectation as I can. And I think when i was younger i think i thought it was about getting and having all the things that's not to say that i don't want to get and have things now but i mm-hmm. think now is it's about to experience and to create i think my purpose is to create like my ultimate if i was to look down from a sort of macro kind of it would be that i am here to create stories and ideas and whether that's through stand up or something i'm doing in acting or whether that's through writing that express the human Sort of experience, the very human experience, sometimes quite specifically the female experience, in a funny way that people can relate to. I think that's my purpose. I think that's the reason I'm here, because I love telling stories, and that can be whether it's on on stage or, you know, whatever the forms are. I try as I've got older, I've tried to remove the frame, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense, and think about the content and go because when i was younger i'd be like this is a piece of stuff i have to do this as stand-up and now i'm like oh no this might be a short film idea or this might be an article i want to write or this might be a piece of stand-up or this might be a short film or whatever you know and i try and but i want to evoke a feeling or an idea and i I want people to think about things in a different way and laugh and all of that you know and there's a huge amount of like wanting acknowledgement for that i think that never really That never really goes away. But I think the work is how much acknowledgement is enough because I think we always, we always want more. And I think the minute we're looking for how something's going to be received, we stop being in the process of purely creating it. Yeah. I, I, whenever I'm doing something, I try and prepare, 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 do my best, then let go of the consequence, which is very easy to say. And in reality, really hard to do.
0: Mm hmm. I think that's really, uh, I, I very much think that the older I get and the more sort of, I suppose, experience I have in all this stuff, I, I've come to think that maybe I'm wrong about this and this is madness, but no idea is a bad idea. As in, I've written, an, I've written something for stand-up, it, ha- it doesn't work. doesn't mean that, it. but exactly what you say, in five years that thing might feed into a script or a book Ideas that that didn't work turn up in something else later. Sometimes it's just not their time, or it's not the right context, or the idea didn't work because it needed something at the beginning of it, or it needed something at the end. But rarely do you go. That is a hundred percent a terrible thought that is of no <laughs> use. Do you know what I mean? But maybe yeah.
1: Not. No, no, no. That's ev- everything's worth. I think it's Hemingway. who was like, never worry about what stages your pieces of work are at. He would have like a huge folder full of ideas. Some would be at a, a, a bullet point plot points or something. Mm-hmm. Some would be a fully fleshed out sort of manuscript. And, and he was like, just go where the mood takes yeah. you. Don't worry about finishing things. You know, it's about entertaining first. But obviously underneath all of that, you have these ideas and messages that you want to share with the world.
0: What do you, what do you think happens when you die?
1: Ugh. I like to think I will hang around and haunt the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. I'm into that as a vibe uh which is what we all fear isn't it during intimate moments and sex and stuff that there yep. might be no just me okay um <laughs> <laughs> that there might be dead relatives floating about um yeah I think what happens is I think we move on to another plane I think another plane exists if there is a heaven, I'm not massively uh religious God, I do not even know if I would say I'm not atheist but I think I might be agnostic I think I would be I think. I like to hope that there's some other place that we land, that is just a place of joy and happiness. And and if it doesn't exist, then I want to be reborn. As what? I definitely want to be human again. I don't think I. I don't think we treat animals kindly enough. I'm mm. going to say that as a cat owner. Um, my cat <laughs> rules the roost here. Actually, maybe I should come back as a cat because then I wouldn't have to do any work. I could just lick my bum hole all day. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I probably want to. And I'd, l- I'd like to come back as someone who had like a lot of power and influence and try and reshape the world into my vision of fairness and freedom and equality. But
0: well, uh, I've got good news. There, this heaven you, you were talking about it, that it's real.
1: It's real. Oh, OK. Yeah, it's That's real. good. <laughs> uh, and
0: It's filled with your favorite things. Animals <laughs> are treated great. There's stand up gigs, but great audiences. And it's it's just great. But in this heaven, everyone's obsessed with films and they want to know about your life through film. And the first thing they ask you is, what is the first film you remember seeing?
1: <sighs> the first film I remember seeing, I went to the cinema with my dad. Now, this is a big deal that my dad took me to the cinema mm-hmm. because it was one of the rare times I did something with my dad because he was... And I think a lot of us went through this if you grew up in the, you know... Well, actually, I was going to say if you grew up in the 80s or the, you know, but but really any time up until fairly recent history where, you know, women were, I mean, women still are the primary caregivers, but like dads were often, you know, my mum was working as well and still running a house. My dad was at work. So during the day and even the weekends, really, because he had a band, I wouldn't necessarily see him as much. Um, So I was with my mum all the time, a lot of the time. And one of the rare occasions that I did something with my dad, it became very memorable because of the rarity.
0: What band was he in?
1: He was in a band called Five O, and it was like a pub covers band. And they um,
0: five I know
1: 5. five five O five O. I think more, more towards the age they were nudging probably
0: when they <laughs> were in the
1: band. And he was the lead singer. And they were like they did like right. they did like the pub circuit. And they were like, like where Elvis Costello and the attractions and stuff they played with them when the, when they were oh. sort of coming through in the late seventies, early eighties. This probably would be. So, yeah. So he, I mean, like my childhood had weird things because they would rehearse downstairs in the living room. So sometimes I would come down. So that's probably my earliest memory of like creativity and performance and stuff like that was Mm. coming down and seeing a band rehearsing in the living room. And then we had a fruit machine in the house and I am fruit machine obsessed. And I don't think my parents know quite how much... I don't know why we had a pub mach- f- pub fruit machine in our house. Ha- I think my dad was looking after it for a friend, which sounds so dodgy. So
0: dodgy. I don't. <laughs> I like the sound of that.
1: So there was that. And then, yeah, so they're playing in the band. So he would do that at the weekend. So, I, it, you know, I might be in a, I'd maybe go to a pub with my mum, but, you know, I was tiny, so we weren't really supposed to be there. Um, but he would play in a pub called The Rising Sun. And he's got albums somewhere in the loft at my mum and dad's. Uh, where they've got covers of The Rising Sun and various Eagles songs and Beatles songs and Neil Diamond. So they were really a covers band, but, you know, pub
0: band. So what was the film?
1: I, I was thinking, I was like, I'm sure I saw The Jungle Book in the cinema, which I don't know if that checks out.
0: It might have been a reissue. They did do that. maybe.
1: So I've gone with the one that I definitely do remember seeing with him, which is View to a Kill, the Bond film.
0: Oh, wow. And how old were you?
1: I might have been about seven or eight. Okay. I think. I remember it was Harrow, Harrow cinema, but it might've been Odeon. Then there was one in, in Harrow on the Hill and there was one in Wembley. And that was, that was near where we lived at the time. I think there might've been people smoking in the cinema. Yeah. Then, and I had a chalk ice. I remember that. Nice. And for anyone listening that is sort of younger than us, I think they don't really appreciate how basic all the choices were <laughs> in the UK in the eighties. Like, like that like three flavors of ice cream <laughs> like <a> ch- <laughs> the cinema a choc ice and it's so because when i think about the stuff that sort of informed my childhood when i think there's a uniqueness to being british when we think the main what was it franchises which is the term yeah. they uh, i like to use now were like carry on and bond oh,
0: Carry On. there bond. were only
1: two yeah. so there was this slapstick like women are bimbos kind of like comedy and then on the other side there was this men are spies and women are bimbos. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> it's just so, consistent uh, with the women's <laughs> side of it. Yes. But yeah, so it was viewed to a Acqu- and I remember because I think the song was like duran Duran. So that was exciting. I imagine I would have been bored out of my mind. I remember Grace Jones being in it and her being s- like sexy and scary. Yeah. But like like she had like a, this huge hat in one of the scenes, and but she also like fought Bond. And I think if I maybe rewatched this recently, I think he's old as shit. Yes, <laughs> like yeah, I think he is. It's Roger Moore's like fifty-seven or something. Could be. <laughs> like, um, and I remember there was a skiing scene in it. So that's that's the main things I remember was it, the the smell of cigarettes. Now it could be. That it w- there wasn't smoking in the cinema. My dad smelled of cigarettes because my dad used to smoke. Right. So I have like a fondness for that smell of like B&H. <laughs> he used to smoke Benson and Hedges.
0: I totally get that. Are you an only child?
1: No, I, I was an only child as in that I grew up in a household and only child. Mm-hmm. But I have two sisters from my mum's first marriage. Okay. So two older sisters, they're 10 and 12 years older than me. Okay, so I course. didn't live with them. I saw them. So in some ways I was, and in some ways I wasn't. I grew up in a household as the sole child, Makes but sense. I wasn't the, and I was the only child of my two parents. Yeah. But I also had two sisters.
0: That's a great first film. What uh, What is the film that scared you the most? You like being scared, correct?
1: I do like being scared. I do Good. like horrors. I, I like jumpy, silly horrors. And I think the film that scared me the most... Firstly, I wanted to go with Omen because it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of terrifying moments, you know, where she shouts, it's all for you, Damien. And then just like flings herself off the, Quite, that's quite a shocking moment. That's what I had yeah. watching with Paul. He was like, what the fuck just happened? You know, that moment. <laughs> um, so that's a scary film. And the idea that someone can be born evil, I think is scary, but I would say scarier than that. And I still have to hold it up as my all time scariest film is Jacob's Ladder.
0: Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it's a scary film.
1: Talking about fear of death. Um, yeah, that film for me. There's so much in it that I remember the cover of the video in the video store, like in Blockbusters or wherever it was for ages. I didn't watch it when it first came out. I would have. I think mm-hmm. I would have been too young. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing that cover and being frightened. And it's kind of like I don't know how you describe it. He's like it's, it's like a, a
0: blurry. It's like it's caught him screaming. And it's like a blurred, his face is in motion in the darkness. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There we go. I didn't know if there was a word for that. I don't think there is. Blurry screaming.
0: Blurry screaming face.
1: <laughs> Tim, Tim Robbins. Um, yeah. So I remember seeing that and, and thinking that was it. And then sitting down to watch this film and it's about so much. We're talking about death. We're talking about life and death. This is about life and death. This is about being haunted by your demons about part. so there's the actual scares that are in the film but there's just this psychological fear and scariness in the film itself so obviously he's being chased he's being followed by people he's doubting himself he's got this fever he's getting in bars full of ice you're not sure who he's in a relationship with because elizabeth Pina's popping in at one point and he's like am i with her i don't remember being with her they were at a party one of the creepiest scenes in that is i don't know if you remember they were at a party and someone swishes around and a tail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a tail. I remember the tail very much.
1: So they're like, there's sort of like devils in the, yeah. in the party and people's eyes start going and he's, he's sort of in this hellscape. And then there's Danny Aiello, I think it mm-hmm. is, who is his chiropractor, who is like kind of always in white. And he's, I think he's sort of angelic. He represents heaven and angels. And he, he, he kind of does that, um, toll quote that is the, um, The only thing that burns in hell are memories of things that you won't let go or something like that. I could probably get the exact quote for you. Here it is. The only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of your life, your memories, your attachments. They burn them all away, but they're not punishing you. They're freeing your soul.
0: Nice.
1: Which is very profound (laughs) and this is a man who's fixing his back (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know um
0: i've ever been to a chiropractor but they're usually chatting about the weather i like that a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're not expecting them to drop kind of philosophy in the middle so there's so there's this kind of this man is is being pursued stuff is coming undone around him. And there's also a bit where they go through a, a, an asylum and that's always scary to me. Mm. Uh, I think everyone's scared of the idea that, that, that people think you've taken leave of your faculties and that you could be strapped to a bed in a, You know, that's a, a big part of horror, I suppose, is that he's wheeled through these corridors and then people's faces are moving at rapid speed and they're covered in bandages and they're tied up and yeah. it's all pretty terrifying. And then the denouement of that being that it's literally him dying. The point of spoiler.
0: <laughs> so you did that in the wrong <laughs> order, <but> okay. <laughs> that <laughs> Sorry, the um... everyone. I, I should have explained the order of how you do a spoiler. <laughs> Sorry.
1: That's everything we've seen are the literally the visions of a dying man battling between his the battle of his consciousness between whether he's a person that gets to go to heaven or hell and then the more terrifying reveal that he's actually in Vietnam. They've been given some kind of drug like acid Mm. or something and he's flashing back to the memories. He thinks he's in a battle, but it's actually all of his unit. They've all shot each other. They've killed each other. It's like, and then you're just left at the end with this like, and it made me yeah, it made me think about all of those things. And that, that, that to me was truly scary. That for me is horror that goes beyond just what the jumps and the scares are that touches you deeply in a psychological way.
0: Right. Hacks is back for season three. And so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators, Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy winning comedy series. Based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at applecard.com. The answer. What is the film that made you cry the most? And do you are you a crier? Are you the town crier?
1: Yeah, I'm a big crier. I'm a big crier. Sometimes I, I'm like cry more at things in films than I do my own life. If it's got mm-hmm. a dog in it that dies, I mean, that's <laughs> worse than a human, isn't it? Let's yeah, be honest. Always, um, <laughs> always The film that makes me cry the most, though, I think consistently and I've seen it enough times and I've rewatched it with people that haven't watched it is the color purple.
0: Oh, wow. Lovely. Lovely.
1: Incredible. Again, there's so much. I mean, there's so much in that film. There is, I think maybe probably the first time I watched it, I th- I, c- I think I watched it cause it was a Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. So I obviously wasn't expecting this, what was about to unfold. And it's just one of the greatest sort of most beautiful stories of triumph over adversity but also that there's every ca- every character has humanity in it even even Danny Glover yeah who is awful and it's so rare to see and especially then I think it was really rare to see Danny Glover in a role where he's like malicious
0: yeah because he's inherently very soft and lovely he sort of has that in him yeah yeah that's interesting
1: and you could watch something like Lethal Weapon and that, you mm. know, that's like a, the complete opposite of he's like sparky, funny. And here he's this, but at the end, I think he knows what, I think he knows what he's done to Seely and how much he's destroyed her. And I think at the very end, he feels sadness for it. Mm. It's way too late Yeah, and it's way too late to be forgiven. But I think Seely kind of sees it as well. Of like that's it now you're done you're just an old dying man and I there's I mean every moment of it it's it's silly seeing herself as be- being beautiful for the first time it's you know and I I wasn't a little black girl in the south of America oh, you know right. so I I wasn't you, you'd be surprised to hear that um, but it, but it really opened my mind into you know it, it kind of gave an insight and a background to sort of what happened there and also the Celia is someone who sort of accepts her fate and doesn't think she's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, until I think is it Shug Avery, the singer, comes in and tells her she's beautiful, and she kisses her, and she has that for the first time with a woman. And and then obviously Oprah Winfrey, who's yeah. like this, who's the one who comes in and tells Celia to have self worth. And so, so like she's like, I never tell like Harpo wouldn't be allowed to do that with me. Like he hits me, I hit him back. And then all of a sudden she's she goes to prison, doesn't she? And she's this woman who was once like proud and she's never allowed to see her kids again. She's working for this horrific white woman in town and who thinks it's a real, there's a real glimpse there into like kind of uh, racial dynamics in America who thinks that she's doing an amazing thing for her by letting her see her kids at Christmas and driving them then, but then running off frightened when they're trying to help her and, you know, just, Mm. Like, aren't I a good woman? I'm allowing you back to see your to see your children. And obviously her sister, like there's so much iconic stuff now. But the, at the at the end when her sister comes back and they're they're play you know, they're grown women yeah. and they're playing clapping games, it's like, oh my God. You know, like it's like an outpouring like you've never never experienced. And because I don't want to say it's a small life, but it is a life of women's stories and they sort of they sort of matter and they're important. Mm. and that is what that is it's the story of a woman who is browbeaten and against the odds from the start and kind of comes out of it triumphant and it's wonderful
0: excellent Tiffany Stevenson what is the film you love people don't like it critics don't (laughs) like it you don't give a shit you love it and you will stand by it
1: (laughs) um oh I mean there's so many for this you say Greece too, right
0: yes i one. do yeah it's
1: huge um, yeah i love greece too so i'm with you on that great so, thinking about this i was like dirty dancing too i mean that's terrible but <laughs> i like a dance film yeah but if if i'm havana if I'm,
0: nights yeah go havana
1: on. nights <laughs> <laughs> uh diego luna ramona Gray, yes yeah. but if i'm honest like pro- the majority of my films that fit into this bracket would be Nicolas cage films
0: <laughs> that's funny because yeah. if
1: Nicolas Cage is in it I'm gonna watch it yeah like I'm gonna watch it without a doubt good bad I'm in I thought yeah. I was gonna marry him I think it's like I had like a full obsession with Nicolas Cage so it's hard it would be a toss-up probably between because Con on the cusp as well but I think <laughs> Conair was seen as being kind yeah, of. yeah Conair like...
0: was 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 well received in its day
1: Yes, it's got some heavy hitters in it as well. It's got yeah. Malkovich and Steve Buscemi, Buscemi and yeah. yeah. So I would say it's a toss-up between Honeymoon in Vegas.
0: Yeah, great one. I'd forgotten about that.
1: Or Gone in 60 Seconds.
0: I'm going Honeymoon in Vegas because I hadn't thought about that film in a very long time. Went to see. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker, James Cohen, Nicolas Cage, Flying Elvises sort of <laughs> loses his fiance in a bet film yes yeah great answer <laughs> really really good answer.
1: Um, yeah it's one of those things that i think at the time it was peak i think my boyfriend at the time was like into sarah jessica parker mm-hmm. i was into Nicolas cage it was a win-win that yeah the plot line is flimsy like the james khan has dyed his hair red yeah. but it's that like old man trying to restore red hair that that goes the color of like kind of like off wheat abix i don't know like that kind of like so his hair dye is like terrible in it and the idea like it is it is a ridiculous idea but it's funny there's funny lines in it there's funny stuff in it but the idea that he's he wants to marry this woman because she looks like his ex-wife who had skin like a handbag <laughs> <laughs> died of skin cancer my wife donna she'd sit out there all day reading her romance novels and there's that bit just in the lobby of like the Bally Hotel where she's like, You brought me to Vegas and you made me a whore. Like <laughs> <Look at> this <laughs> whole argument with um and obviously it's got cage and it's cage, it's not even cage turned up to eleven.
0: No, this was pre Madness, I think. This was yes. him warming up.
1: Mm, this is romantic
0: lead cage. Yeah, this is this was before leaving Las Vegas. This is like I always think with him, my theory is he he was he was amazing, really good actor. Won the Oscar and thought, all right, I can do whatever the fuck I want now. And then did. Just said, I've sort of proved it. I don't have to keep doing serious films, do I? That was hard. I'll, yeah. Uh, swing trains <laughs> chainsaw about now.
1: She, he just does whatever he wants. He yeah. feels like he doesn't say no. And I feel like that's kind of cool and okay. Because he's, yeah, like you say, he's got enough in the tank. It's not like people are going to go, he's, he's never done any good work it's incredibly yeah. freeing to go actually i i can just do this whatever ridiculousness this is now i can get involved in transplanting i can be castor troy talking about peaches yeah
0: i've earned it <laughs> in this. a
1: john woofield <laughs> so in this, this it's a, a romantic lead nicholas cage is like because mm. you know matthew McConaughey Means was true. romantic lead for like years and years and years and then went the other way and went i need to do serious mm. films because like time to kill was like a much more serious and then he yeah. went into that rom-com thing and I've, i think during the 90s though everyone we, we went mad for the rom-coms but the casting Nicolas cage as like a leading the hearts rob actor is a is an odd move anyway but then yeah and and, and then the competition is james carl
0: he stands <laughs> a chance that's the thing
1: yeah yeah and obviously there's a lot of sarah jessica parker in swimsuits which i imagine is mm-hmm. Uh, pleasing for the guys like she looks incredible in, in in the film and yeah leaping elvis's out of a plane like this
0: is such a good answer i i, I haven't been as pleased by an answer to this question for a long time <laughs> you've getting an extra 10 points for that
1: oh good good
0: what's the film that you used to love but you've watched it recently and you do not love it anymore
1: i do still love it but i feel like it's of its time and it's a bit cringe now is uh bram stoker's dracula I love that. I love that film. See me now.
0: (laughs) I love it. It's such an interesting film. It is interesting.
1: It's it's such a bizarre. It's
0: very bizarre.
1: When you get into the world of Coppola and you think about his body of work, Mm. uh, but then he's done some like, I would say he's kind of a little bit more, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, Genre slutty uh, than, (laughs) um, than someone like Scorsese, who I think does Mm. kind of stick to a little bit more to the films that he successfully does. Whereas I think Coppola kind of like b- bops about genres a bit, but it's, it's sort of mad. There's so much in it, right? Because I I was probably, what year did that come out? I feel 92. like I was in my teens. D- did you say 92? 92,
0: yeah, I believe so. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about right. It was sort of landed when I was like 14, 15 and Keanu Reeves is in it, which is mm-hmm. just like, I'm, i'm up for the super hotness of reeves i'll watch anything i love dracula
0: it was 92
1: it was 92 right so it was kind of that you know that teenage hormony watching it back now there's, there's just like about 40 minutes of poor sadie frost with their left tit out mm-hmm. thrashing around in a bed which like i feel for like Sadie, I met her once at a gig like, and she was so nice and she was so young and beautiful. And I feel like that that's sort of what the role of Lucy was reduced to in the film, was just the role of left tit, you know, uh, thrashing about. You've got the awfulness of Keanu Reeves' English accent in that film mm-hmm. as Jonathan Harker. Winona Ryder's Mina character is a bit wet. Gary Oldman's a revelation because he always is. But it is sort of mad when you think... <laughs> You know, there's the bits where he's like, like he's he's having sex with Lucy in the garden as like some kind of like werewolf type he's beast. Like a wolf. Yeah, yeah, and he goes, "Do not see me now." <laughs> and then later on, when he's dressed, <laughs> Which is what in full- I say when
0: I'm having sex. <laughs> Do, not Do not look at me.
1: <laughs> the beast has emerged. The beast is here. <laughs> So maybe it's very clever metaphor that, that yeah uh,
0: it's very relatable the
1: go- secrets. There. <laughs> but there's the bit when he's dressed up and he looks like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen in like a yes, full velvet exactly. suit and and tiny round glasses
0: and there's all the shadow work I love all the shadow work and sort of puppet like sort of felt puppets to to do a war at the beginning there's a lot of a lot of great stuff, stuff in this <laughs> so, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah uh, see me now do not see me now and what the harker's hair goes white hopkins turns up and it's a yeah. big old performance from anthony hopkins he's in that having film. a go he's, saying- <laughs> he's so they seem like he's van helsing isn't he for the storylines i think for the reason it sort of flops now i suppose is the storylines for mina and the storylines for for lucy also there's you know that moment where keanu reeves has the was it the the bridesmaids of dracula which i imagine for the guys was quite sexy because they all sort of mm. appear naked
0: yeah yeah no and, i mean uh, i've got i've got far less complaints about this film than you <laughs> you saw sort of, everything you've said is a, i'm like yeah, i mean yeah sure, 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 sure. sure. <laughs> yeah terrible terrible sequence yeah, yeah, yeah. um uh, but i
1: did i did love it i just think but by all means i don't think it's a film that should be like you look at it now and you go, whoa, that doesn't... There's, It's just...
0: It's interesting. I watched it the other day because it popped up, and, or I watched some of it, and uh, it's interesting how weird it is and how, like I say, there's like puppetry in it and shadows and some of it's like a play and some of it's like a pop-up book. And at the time it was like, oh, this big sort of scary horror, but now it's, it's very much an art film that he's just whacking all sorts of shit in it and it's like uh you know the best thing about it do you know this that that possibly Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are married because Francis Ford Coppola said yeah that was a real priest that did their ceremony and and the actual their marriage scene in it was an actual marriage and there's no evidence that they're not married (laughs) that they might actually (laughs) still be married from that moment.
1: Oh, so he didn't. But what about the, you take this person and this person? What about the I've using the i never of thought names? about that bit.
0: I think maybe they did a rehearsal where they used their real names. Right. Oh, that's, that's my answer that would, to that.
1: That would be, I mean, Keanu should have the title, uh, the tattoo saying, why no forever? Yeah. Like Johnny Depp. That would be cool. Like, Oldman can do anything. You know, he's he is incredible. But I guess the kind of like, yeah, the long white hair in the creepy plait right down his back when he's like... Yeah.
0: It's He's mad. It is a, yeah. really <laughs> a really bad film. It's this... a really good answer. <laughs> You're smashing out some great answers here. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film itself, is any good, but because the experience you had around seeing the film that will always make it special to you. Tiffany Stevenson. Herself.
1: Well, luckily, luckily, the film that means the most to me is also a film that I think is one of the best. It would be in my top 5 films or my top 3 films. Uh and that is Terminator 2. Ding. Uh yes, Terminator 2. Because I watched it on a boat on the way to Spain. It was the first time we'd ever been on a family holiday. It was the first time we'd ever left the country. Right. We went on a ferry because my dad was working for I think like Bovis at the time, and they owned PO. So we had like this sort of company trip. We got on the car got on the ferry and it we went from like Portsmouth I think maybe to like Santander when it wasn't just a bank <laughs> as a place in anyway. <laughs> now you hear Santander and I just think of just think of my bank but yeah so so we, so we we drove on and it was like two days or three days I think on a boat at the time and it had a cinema in the boat
0: oh. and I
1: think I might have been like a shade too young so my mum had to come and watch the film with me she mm-hmm. fell asleep because the boat's rocking you, and you're right. <laughs> you're watching this film. And I just had—I don't think at that point I'd seen the original Terminator. I think I was aware of it, mm-hmm. and I had my tiny mind blew, and and I had like this huge crush on Edward Furlong. That was such a seminal. It's L.A. It's motorbikes. It's and then like a a female protagonist who is incredible. Cool as shit. And do you know what's upsetting is to think it took a long, long time for me to probably see that in a film again. I'm mm-hmm. feeling like Mad Max Fury Road, <laughs> like Furiosa. Yeah. Like it's so rare to see the the female, you know, act, like she, she was the OG and yeah, the, it was frightening because there was the liquid metal, you know, the, mm-hmm. the shocking moments in that, you know, going through the mouth and the, Carton of his his um foster parents yeah foster yeah 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 yeah. um so John Connor's yeah John Connor's foster parents and everyone's amazing in it it's it's frightening because she's been because she knows what's going to happen it opened up the possibility or the idea to me that the future could be there could be some kind of robot war and (laughs) and 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 the, the opening scene like from the opening moment of that film it lays its cards on the table because it's 2029. We've only got eight years to go, Brett. Oh, if shit. We're in Los Angeles in eight years time.
0: Oh, shit. When
1: the uh, three three, I think she says 3 billion lives are lost But there, but there's that, oh, there's a moment. It's like traffic in LA. It's heat haze. So it's all of that. Like Hollywood, Los Angeles, mm. like very exciting at that point. So hadn't been to America yet. And then you cut to this image of like, a robot's foot coming down and crushing a human skull. So yeah. it's like this, like, oh, it's just such a beautiful allegory. Is it an allegory or is it a metaphor, Brett?
0: What do you think the thing is is doing? Is it telling us it is like something? Or it, it well, is... no,
1: that would be a simile, I guess. Or it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, I would say it's telling us that if we're not careful, that the things that we create, these things that can destroy
0: then I think it's an allegory.
1: The the, the, the technology we create, and if you think about it now in terms of social media Mm -hmm. and cancelling and what, you know, like in a broader sense or hacking and, you know, like of elections and everything else, how creating something that powerful can ultimately overcome and destroy humans in a very like, here's a robot's foot, here's a human skull, I'm crushing it.
0: It's a lovely allegory, I think.
1: There we go. It's a lovely, it's a beautiful allegory. And it obviously, it sets up it sets up what that film's going to be. So it kind of implanted in my head at that point, the idea that, that, you know, what if the there is a fight between humans and robots? And what if mm. technology does take over? And what if you have these ideas or visions of the future and people don't believe them or that you, you know, so there, there was a lot in it. And then obviously like a little bit of early teenage horn for Edward Furlong.
0: <laughs> Tell me the film you most relate to
1: uh steel magnolias probably and which is weird okay. because i'm not you know <laughs> again texas? i'm not in this no i think it's um where are they no i feel it's uh god
0: sorry. they're in the south
1: they're in the south I feel it's based on a book isn't it it's um where's the other place that's not texas it's a slightly more <laughs> a slightly more fancy southern where they have the fancy southern like, kind of, Texas Georgia. is more oil. Yeah, maybe it, Texas is more oil based. No we'll cut this out anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I saw Steel Magnolias at the cinema, and it's not that I massively related. I think it's hard because I think growing up when I did, there weren't a huge amount of films that had girls' stories at the center of them, or so there wouldn't be those younger ones, it would be slightly older. And still, Magnolias was maybe the first time again that I was like, w- "Women's stories; these are just about the women are the important ones in this, and it's about their lives." And so I recognise those characters, and that I recognise the mother who's overprotective of her daughter. Shell, but drink the juice because she has the diabetes. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and there's so many great lines in that, like. Um, like two pigs fattened under a blanket. So (laughs) there's Weezer, who is this sassy kind of sparky character who like fights with everyone, but she's really funny. Everyone's funny. I sort of recognize that. I just, the idea that like there was this glamour on screen, there was Dolly Parton and Daryl Hannah, and that these were women who live real, real lives and their lives are important. And the stories talk about their lives and how in, Important their lives are, so I guess I sort of that was the first time I went, oh, I feel like this is something I don't necessarily feel like it's me, but I feel like this is yeah. about women, women I know, women I love, the relationships, and how you know there's so many great scenes there's a scene with Sally fields at at, um, at her daughter's funeral where she's just raging at the world and angry, and mm. no one can answer her pain, you know. And I love that. And I love that the men, you know, you've got like Sam Shepard and people like that, but that uh, Tom Berridge, I think Beridge. Beridge sounds right. Beringer? Beringer. Beringer. Tom Beringer. Yes. Who are like side characters. Yeah. You know, they are, they are the, uh, the side dish. And the main course of that film is women, their stories. And I love it.
0: Excellent. What is the film Tiffany Stevens in that you found the sexiest?
1: Okay. Sexiest film. Okay. There's two, there's sort of two here. It depends on how we think sex. Like Point Break was a, yeah, a, a was a was a massively uh, sexy film for me because I was a big Keanu fan. That's mm-hmm. Pete Keanu. He's like so gorgeous in that film. And also, there's you know there's a, a bit of Swayze popping popping muscles. Uh, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So that would be for me. That would be like the beach sexy dudes. That would be the sexiest film. But then also. I would like to add in basic instinct, which now yes. when I watch back, like at the time, I think I wasn't allowed to, or I was maybe a bit too young to watch it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember seeing that scene where Catherine Tramell is sort of writhing around on yeah. top of the first guy who dies. Like, and I was like, Oh, they have sex like that. I'd never seen a, a, a scene in film where a woman was on top. Like literally oh. like I'd never seen a sex. So I was like, Oh, yeah. that's, She's like, oh, women do that. And now sort of when you watch it, I was like, she's like flinging herself about, (laughs) like Sadie Frost left it. Like she's flicking herself about, <laughs> like got like in a very unrealistic way, but I mean she's incredibly beautiful and stuff. And I mean she does, you know, she does slice the dude open at the or stab him. No, it's the stabbing with the ice pick, isn't it? Um, yeah. But that film was, and I know that film was sexy for guys for a very different reason. <laughs> um, but watching it now, you're like, it's
0: like the same reason. <laughs> same reason. I,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 it was women, women, just oh, this is sexy and naughty, but then also. Yeah. If you watch it back now, you're like, good God. There's like Michael Douglas in that scene of like, he turns up at a nightclub in a, yeah, V-neck, in a V-neck.
0: In his lovely V-neck.
1: And his penny loafers. she's odd. And she bangs him anyway. In spite <laughs> of
0: that. And she forgives him. And I think that's why it's a very sweet love story. <laughs> she bangs him anyway.
1: But that's revealing, isn't it? That I didn't know women had sex on top. But so uh, yeah.
0: Uh, there is a subcategory to this question. Yeah. Troubling boners, worrying wide ons. What's a film you found arousing? You weren't sure you should.
1: Well, I think Lost Boys is supposed to maybe be arousing, but yes. I think not necessarily when they were vampires. So I was big into, I kind of fancied Corey hayne but then also like big time for Jason Patrick and probably most when he had his vampires and fangs. So like that's not supposed to be horny, is it?
0: Listen I'm into Sadie Frost when she's got her uh, fangs and shit. So
1: yeah. Yeah. So I think that's w- not so different do you with that. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think that sort of uh that film has a like kind of like sexy but it shouldn't be shouldn't be sexy even though they're knowingly mm-hmm. going for like good-looking guys and uh and Jamie Gertz I think is like the beautiful yeah. girl in it but yeah. I remember thinking that that was that was very hot and he also had one like earring like a horn like yeah. a gold dangly <laughs> earring. Yeah, yeah so that's right. and also I liked him most when he was an asshole which is that's quite telling isn't it?
0: <laughs> What's the greatest objectively the greatest film of all time?
1: I'm oscillating between the greatest film of all time and the film I could watch over and over again because I feel like I could swap these two categories around, back and forth. But I would probably say greatest
0: film of all time is Goodfellas. I fucking love that answer. And I don't think it has been said on this. Really? It has. Not for a very long time, if it has. And you're bang on.
1: I just think there is... You've done some really
0: good answers here for the record. Oh, good. Good.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Goodfellas, I think. There's so much in it. And I think because the story is about gangsters and it's about the mafia but there's this you know Lorraine Bracco is there's the Karen there's the female presence mm-hmm. the narration the like co-sharing that throughout the story that gives it this kind of female center and heart that makes it different I guess from, not that I don't like The Godfather, I think that, that's an amazing film. But I think Goodfellas, I think the story stands up. I think, you know, there have been talk about it being, is it glamorising being a gangster? But actually they get their comeuppance. It is about, like, he's got to live like a regular sm- yeah. schmuck.
0: with It is glamorising it, but it's sort of deliberate. It's not, it's not, it, it deliberately is glamorising it. It's going, look, this is, this is why this life is enticing and, and attractive because look at it, you get all this stuff. Yeah. It's not accidentally glamorizing it. It's very deliberate.
1: And you want to be swept up in the romance. You want mm. to have that, that great uh, cam shot through the restaurant, which, you yeah. know, to which was iconic at the time, but the idea, you know, and these are the things that we're taught as girls, as we're growing up, that this, Guy's going to come in and sweep you off your feet and he is literally going to, we're going gonna go through the back door of a restaurant and we're going to be sat at the front and everyone's going to be, we're going to be the special ones in the room. It's like being a celebrity. It's that version yeah. of, and romance and a guy who says, I can give you everything you ever want and how these two people that kind of wanted more and then they get power and how corrupting that is, completely corrupting that is. And, you know, she's going to shoot him when she meeting the other wives because it's such their little world that she doesn't want to be part of this wider world. And she's like, they all wear cheap knits and pantsuits and their hair was overdone, you know, like all the other gangsters wives. And she's kind of she's like not like them. And and it is about their love story. But then it becomes. Yeah. Then it becomes about this power that corrupts both of them. And there's a bit in it because I'll watch it at least once a year that this year and, and i think i put this up on twitter but there's a great scene where they go into witness protection and it's like it's like the pandemic they're like you've got she's like how long for and he's like as long as it takes you know and he's like he was like well the thing is i'm bronchial she's like "Yeah, yes generally he's genuinely bronchial he's like i've got to go somewhere hot i can't <laughs> it's like they're negotiating quarantine and at one point she says what about my parents and he's like well you can't see your parents she was like, but what if something happens? He was like, okay, if there's extenuating circumstances, you can see your parents. It just, it felt like the pandemic. Yeah. It felt really timely all over again. Um, and it, Pesci's incredible in that film, mm-hmm. you know? Um, De Niro's incredible in that film. It's just the soundtrack, everything.
0: is the, the, the best. It's the best. You can have that. Yeah. It is. What is the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again uh heat great i mean Uh, it's
1: if it's on the tv i'll watch it if i'm bored i'll watch it i love michael Mann. i love the sort of neo-noir i love i love a heist film and it's sort of when la is at the peak of it was like the heist capital of the world I was going to say not even on the downward slope, but it's kind of, it's, it's got De Niro and Pacino, obviously them sharing screen time. So much of the dialogue is excellent. It's someone on a downward slope of a marriage, someone ch- right. and someone else trying to, you know, like uh, 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 Vince trying to, you know, on a downward slope of his marriage and, and Neil meeting someone and thinking about a life outside of being a criminal. Um, and it has that Diane Venora in it, which, and I think this is quite, it's, it's inspiring that her part, I think she was about 42 or 43. And that was a huge breakout for her. And I like Mm. that man cast women who were like, you know, slightly more age appropriate for the two.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's That's a very good point. Lead
1: men and her storylines. Great. She's like, you're like a kind of shadow that passes through our lives, you know, and there's, I can't Mm. grasp hold of you. And there's, you know, and he sees too much and it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a perfect film. There's comeuppance for the people who you think need it. There's nothing more exciting than that driving scene, not even the shootout, not even the main shootout at the end or the opening one, but that scene where where Vince sees Neil and he's sort of driving down the motorway and I think it's New Dawn fades by Moby plays and he's driving. I do that in my car all the time. (laughs) I'll stick that song on and I'll do what are you waiting for? And then I'll try, I'll drive like I'm a, I'll drive like I'm a cop. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to love about Heat. I would watch it over and over again. I mean, Val Kilmer's ponytail deserves 10 minutes on its own. (laughs) Um, But yes, that's, that was, that's the sort of LA I had in mind. Those sweeping shots, the twinkling lights, those huge wides that Michael Mann does that made me the first time, I went to Los Angeles, uh, which was quite late in my life. That that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to get up high and see Los Angeles like Michael Mann had shown it in that yeah. film. What another,
0: what's another excellent answer. What is the, we don't like to be negative fairly quickly. If, if we could, <laughs> yep. what's the worst film you ever saw?
1: I've seen one recently that's up there called Survivor Island with Billy Zane and Kelly Brook. I think it might now, be. I will not hear a bad <laughs> word against Kelly Brook. Um, It's just a terrible, terrible film. And uh, they're washed up on a desert island, but it's bad. It's pretty awful. Um, I saw, um, I also saw a film once called Mum and Dad, which was a British horror film. And it was really just gross. (laughs) Like gross for like beyond me kind of going, this is scary and it's just horrible. So I don't know if it'd be the worst. It would be like the most disturbing film I think I've seen. I think at one point, Uh Perry Benson puts his knob in a human liver and masturbates with it. Mum and
0: dad, <laughs> you say. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What? What's the, you're in comedy, Tiffany Stevenson. What's the film that made you laugh the most?
1: I feel this is very restricting to just say one. Am I allowed to do them by like decades? Can I just quickly say, I'll if go. you
0: bang them out. I'll bang yeah. them
1: out. Coming to America, Ace Ventura yes. and Command Bridesmaids.
0: And what's your final answer?
1: My final answer would probably be the film that makes me laugh the most. I think Anchorman was like a film that I just quoted relentlessly when that came out. And the silliness of it, of that kind of like peak Will Ferrell and Christina Applegate's funniness, like them being brutal and calling each other, her calling him, like him calling her a smelly pirate whore. I think. <laughs>
0: probably <one of> <laughs>
1: um but yeah but she and she would give it back both barrels as well and I just kind of loved that it kind of like took on that era and like the kind of sexism of that era but also it was just silly and big and uh yeah I mean I might change my mind at some point but I'll say for now Anchor Man,
0: Tiffany Stevenson you've been uh wonderful as expected and some fucking cracking answers if I may say so you got some double points, you got some 10 points, you did very, very well. However, James McAvoy, I don't know if you know him, but he, he'd been taking a lot of testosterone, right? And his, uh, his um, head kind of grew twice the size from all the testosterone. A lot of it was, He injected it into his skull because he thought <laughs> it would give him more uh, facial hair because he doesn't have a lot. Uh, but actually it sort of just grew his head twice the size. You bump into him. You're like, hello. Oh, and you, you strike up a conversation. You said, you know, me and my uh, fiance have your picture on our wall with googly <laughs> eyes. Nothing weird about that. And he says, oh, how long have you two been together? And you say 14 years, but it's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, what's like the rules? And, and you say, well, the rules of our relationship is kissing's fine. It we fine. can't do it. I can't do anything else. And he goes, oh, yeah, similar, similar for me. And he says, come over here. And he takes you behind a tree and he kisses you softly, gently kisses you with a bit more passion and you, you're having a lovely time. And you think, oh, it's a shame the rule ends on kissing. But then suddenly he looks you deep in the eyes and he opens his mouth and his mouth opens so wide like a snake and he pops your old head in it. <laughs> Just pops your old head in his mouth. And he, you can't break your, your nose and mouth are in his throat. You, you, there's no air. And the shock of it—you you haven't even taken a breath—and you died quite quickly and painlessly. Actually, I was doing a run because there's been this pandemic, and it's like you can only do one bit of exercise. Whatever, I was on a run, and I see what looks like a sort of uh, triangle, but I realise oh, it's it's two people. It's one person leaning, and but I can't see the head of the other person because <laughs> oh, it's in their mouth, and I realised, oh, James McAvoy. Oh, god, fucking how it's happening, it. James McAvoy's uh, kissed tiffany stevenson to death and i said james put her down mate and uh and he goes and he opened his mouth and you fell to ground and he went can you not tell anyone about this i said mm, i don't know i'll see and he he says i've, Think I've might got a play my coming up <laughs> <laughs> he says i've got a play coming up i said we can well we can pretend she just i don't know had a heart attack or something i guess and he goes can't believe you're, you're taking my side on this and I said well she's gone and what are we going to do I mean I, I'm a fan like I'd love you to still have your career I guess so and and then he said isn't that what's wrong with the world this sort of attitude and I go yeah I guess it is anyway he runs <laughs> off I'm in a real moral conundrum and you're dead but your body because you've been in his mouth and because of all the saliva that he put in you your head you're much bigger than you were pre-kiss I've brought a coffin with me, you know what I'm like, always on a run with a coffin. So I try and pack you in the coffin, but there's too much going on, so I have to chop you up into bits, stuff you in this coffin, it's absolutely rammed in there, right? There's only enough room in this coffin for one DVD for you to take to the other side, and on the other side it's movie night every night, and one night it's your movie night. What film are you taking to show everyone in heaven when it is your movie night? Tiffany Stevenson, go.
1: Good fellas again.
0: They will love you there.
1: They will love me. And especially as I've been chopped into pieces, like some Mm. people in the film, Goodfellas get chopped into pieces.
0: Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. Tell me this before you leave. uh, You've been really, really wonderful. Is there anything people should be listening for, looking out for watching anything you would like to tell us about before you go? Uh,
1: I'm doing a, it depends when this goes out, but I'm doing a work in progress on the 26th of March, a zoom show. Okay so you can Lovely. see that if you want to see me um acting in things then you can watch uh, people just do nothing on netflix or game uh, face game face i was about to say which yes game face which is on uh, all four here and on uh hulu if you're in america if you're watching in america in fact i think Lots of people in America have been watching it recently because lots of messages have been coming through going, I just watched you in Game Face. Um, okay. So, yeah, which is, you know, our friend. Our friend and yours, Roisin Conaty.
0: Raising Conaty.
1: Being brilliant. Uh, so, yes, watch me in those things and uh, listen to me on, you know, this podcast and my podcast, Tiny Revolutions, which is coming back. Am I allowed to plug that?
0: Yeah, of course you are. Yeah,
1: um, That's coming back uh, next month. And so, yeah, uh, check that out on all of the usual podcasting places.
0: Tiffany Stevenson, thank you for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Have a lovely death. Good night. Good night. So that was episode 144. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chats, videos and secrets with Tiffany. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and instead of writing about the show, write about the film that means the most to you and why. It's a lovely thing to read. I do read them. It also helps the numbers, and it means Maureen can be looked after properly. She loved that. She'll really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you so much to Tiffany for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. And thank you to Buddy Peace for producing it. Thanks to ACAST for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics, and Lisa Layden for the photography. Come and join me next week. Right, listen up. Next week, I've got the brilliant director, Neil Marshallon. He's such a good director, and he made one of the great horror films, The Descent. For your homework, if you have never seen The Descent, I want you to watch The Descent, because we talked about it quite a lot on the episode, and he went, some really good insight into it, some really interesting stuff, but you'll want to have seen the film. So watch The Descent. That's your homework, all right. But you've also got to watch it really in the dark. God, it's a lot to it's a lot to take in in it. Just watch the descent in the dark. You won't be sorry, or you might be if you really hate horror films. But that's it. You can you can handle all that, right? So that is it for now. In the meantime, have a lovely week, and please be excellent to each other.